Listener Production. Automotive commentator and journalist Greg Rust, and this is Rusty's Garage. I'm in Melbourne for this ep at the end of an unforgettable day. Earlier I'd been at the Albert Park GP track getting ready for broadcast work around the first event of the 2020 F1 season. The Australian Grand Prix is one of my favourites. We're all excited to see and hear the latest Formula One cars and to perhaps get a sense of who was fast and who was behind the eight ball at the end of the day's two scheduled 90-minute practice sessions. Not one wheel turned. Sadly, a McLaren team member tested positive to the coronavirus that had begun sweeping the planet and the squad opted to withdraw from round one. The organisers considered all sorts of alternatives, but unfortunately the event had to be cancelled on what was meant to be the 25th running of the F1 race here. So now that I've got some spare time, I've teed up a chat with Rubens Barrichello at his hotel. The Brazilian was back down under to race in the new V8-powered S5000 open-wheel class, which was on the support bill at the GP. As you'll hear, Rubens is infectiously passionate about cars and racing even in his late 40s. He spent nearly 20 years in F1, chalked up more than 300 starts. In fact at the time we recorded he held the most starts of any F1 driver in the sport's history. 11 wins, 68 podiums and 14 pole positions. He drove for some great teams, contributing significantly to their success too. Notably at Ferrari alongside Michael Schumacher, and Braun when Jensen Button took the title. They say it's often the earliest influences that have the biggest impact, and for Rubens, that's particularly true. The first memory I have is, is going to my grand, grandmother's uh, house where everybody would sit. Uh, it was a big family, Barrichello's family, and the, the, when we grow up, it was in Interlagos, uh, right by the track. And Sundays, whenever they were doing the, the, the pasta, the Bolognese pasta, it was, uh, for us, was, was about watching the races. And uh, I remember my first memory is, is, is just the, the Lotus 78, Mario Andretti uh, coming, uh, you know, on that black Lotus. Uh, and then, you know, the year after, I, I had the chance where everybody would test in Interlagos uh, because of the weather. They would come to Interlagos to properly test. So the Renault car tested there. There was a, So because I was from Interlagos, they, they wouldn't ask me for a pass. So I was, I was with uh, my bicycle and I would ride straight in. And um, so, you know, it was a, it was a passion you know, and a falling in love in there. I was, I was just able to to see something coming up and obviously when I was six uh, I was giving my my first go-kart so I could relate it to you know the driving I obviously you don't know the power and so many things but uh, René Arnoux uh, in, in that car and uh, Jean-Pierre Jabouille it was uh, phenomenal I, I just uh, love the times when I uh, when I was, I was growing up, obviously my father didn't have the means to actually get me going on the go-kart, but because he had um, a building material place on the in, right in front of uh, Gate 7 of Interlagos, 
he made a lot of friends from Interlagos and from the racing. So therefore, uh, he was able to to do some stuff where he would uh, give a little bit of a sand or tint or this and people would help me with you know pieces of engines and uh, like exhaust and things like this that uh, just kept me going for the first uh, few years of my career you talk even now with a with a smile with a passion and an immense passion for it when you got that first go-kart the the cv the record books talks about your titles did it come easily? Were you natural? What were the learnings like when you first got into karting? Um, it was um, it was something that it was very natural to me. But uh, for sure, for my father, it was something that he would uh, okay. Let me give let 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 give my my son a chance of of uh, of a sense that I never had, like my father saying. But uh, sensation. Uh, yeah, but that but. But that's gonna stop soon. It's not. Uh, I I I have a feeling that my dad never thought that that would have become such a such a thing. Yeah. And uh, so it was it was phenomenal because when I first drove, then uh, I remember you know people coming to my dad and saying, oh the the kid has a talent, so you you should look after that. And uh, and my dad, the only two things he asked me was, uh, you go to school. You behave there, and uh, and you go to sleep at 8 p.m. So that's the only two things I had in my mind for my whole childhood. Did you do the right thing? I did. did I, I was. I, I. You know. I. For me. For me. It was everything. I wanted to race so badly mm-hmm. that uh, I could see that my dad was working hard, uh, more hours to to trying to provide me that, and uh, I I couldn't I couldn't. Uh, skip any any line that he had put it to me so when i tell my kids that nowadays it's uh it's different war than and everything but i uh, i don't want them to be exactly the same as i say but when i tell eduardo eduardo is 18 and he's he's already racing in america and i tell him look uh when i tell you to go to to the gym it's probably not for right now because you have the means to, to, and you qualify to be racing so well at the USF 2000 uh, championship. But maybe tomorrow, I don't know, Red Bull or Ferrari, they might call me and say, oh, we got a test for, for Eduardo. Is he ready to do it? And I want him to be ready yes. for what he tells me it is his dreams. So my dad, he was... He was able to fulfill my dreams in a way that he, he prepared me well, mm. and I was prepared when whenever the cycle came my way. Because life, it is a cycle, isn't it? Yes, it, it uh, there are days that you wake up, it doesn't matter what you do, and you say, oh man, this is a bad day, mm. or oh, this is a good day. This is, this is life. Yes. And then, you know, I want him to be prepared for that as well, the same way my dad did it to me. Am I right in saying you and your dad share perhaps the same birthday and the same name? And you, you, they, you'll have to say it in, in, uh, in the language, in Portuguese or whatever, but they, they call you Little Rubens, basically. Is that right? Yeah, yeah my, that, uh, I'm known in Brazil as Rubinho. Mm-hmm. Rubinho means Little Rubens because my grandpa, it is Rubens as well. Wow. 
and uh, and the real Rubens Barrichello is is my grandpa because he's the only the only name he has is Rubens Barrichello. My father is Rubens Barrichello Jr. and he was born on the May twenty third, nineteen fifty. And I was uh, the Rubens Gonçalves Barrichello, which is my my mother's middle name. Um, and then I uh, I was born uh, May twenty third, seventy two. Amazing. Amazing. As a young man, you would go to England after some success in karting. How daunting was that period for you? Were you ready to grab it with both hands? And very recently, I did a, a function in New Zealand with Dick Bennett's. All right. You, you know, lots of great names have, have come through West Surrey Racing, which he runs, haven't they? Yes, uh, absolutely. I mean, when I went to Europe, it was a tough time because... Uh, uh, you know, as a family man, I, I, I love the Sundays around my father and my family. So when I, it was a big change. And uh, at 16, you know, you're going to Europe, living with uh, the whole team. And uh, it was a new experience. And uh, my my mother still have some letters that I wrote to her from from those times. And uh, I remember crying on my little room. Uh, and saying, Mom, I, I can hang on just to the fact that I, I'm sure whenever I drive, it will be good. Uh, because I didn't drive the first month and the team uh, owner had asked me to go there uh, beforehand, it, it was because he wanted to, me to learn the language. And I, I didn't, I, you know, how, how special is life? Because that month teach me how to speak Italian. And, and after I drove for Ferrari. So it was a, it was, it was something that you know. It's uh, those little bits and the knots that get together are, to yeah, they were, they were meant to be. Mm-hmm. So my father asked me one thing uh, when I went uh, that patch and and when I left to the to get uh, to the finger, you know, the airplane finger, and he said, uh, "You go, but you come back the same." And uh, and that's the it's such a simple thing, you know, from a humble person, and uh, he want me to be like that. And when I when I walk through the paddock today, like a Formula One paddock, and I see those mechanics jumping out of the the their their work and just to say hi to me, I think I I've done really well on that patch. That it was the only the only thing that my father said to me. So I I am uh, you know I'm proud of. Uh, what I, I have achieved, obviously, inside of the racing track, but most impo- important is also the, the beat out outside the, the racing track. As you should be, because it's an intensely political game, it, it's sport at the most elite level that can change human beings, that can change people, and clearly you kept the core Rubens Barrichello, didn't you? And I, and I tell you, it's not that it does not change, because it does. At a certain point, you just don't get the cues anymore, because people, you go to a restaurant and they call you right inside, and then, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it comes up to, you, to your mind. I mean, when we, we, we experienced the same thing here, we came in and there was a, a family and, and asked for, for a picture. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it, it, sometimes you can feel like a pop star, but it's uh, it's uh, it, it it's with the events that happen in life that teaches you how to you know how to proceed. So, I like I said, I'm very proud that I I, w- I was able to. In my mind did go up and went down and went went up, and I, I you know I'm just m- me. So I'm proud of that. 
The record books, I think, say you were you were about 20 when you got your first taste of, of Formula One. But is it true that, that at 19, you, you may have got a chance to, to have a crack at it at, at 19 years of age? Is that right or not? Um, I think when I really sat down on that Jordan, uh, the, the Yamaha Jordan 92, I was 19. Wow. And I, when I first drove it in Kyalami, I, I was still 19. What was that like for a 19-year-old man who dreamt of this, who'd been next door to Interlagos and listened and seen? What did that feel like? Oh, it was, a, it was such, a, such a feeling. I mean, for me, I remember like uh, if it was today, uh, my dad, uh, Kyalami, different, uh, South Africa. It was just, uh, you know, Ayrton Senna. Uh, Alan Prost and it was just uh, it was magical it was uh, and uh, I was putting really good times I had uh, I had Ivan Capelli as my teammate and I was uh, I was doing so well my name was up there and I, I you know it, it felt good it felt really good your career is remarkable I mean to look back now and to see more than 300 starts, more than 320 starts when you set out on that adventure with the passion that you have it, it would have been a dream to tick up that tally. Did you ever imagine you would get to that number of starts in the sport? No. And then I think that's that's what it's it's good about it because at the end of the day, people say, I got there because of this, I got there because of that. For me, I got there because I love. Yeah. And uh, and uh, I remember uh, my, my last year in Formula One, people said, uh, oh, you should, you know, just go home. You've done it so much. And and I kept on thinking, why should I go home? I just love driving. What's a, and nowadays, I'm still, you know, I'm on my seventh year of stock car. Uh, I just uh, signed to race the, the Argentinian super touring car uh, in there. I'm racing go-karts with my kids. I just love this. I just, I'm, I'm here in Australia to, for the S, <laughs> S5000. And uh, and it's it's just it's just a feeling that uh, you know I thank God for the opportunity I had to deal with what I liked it so early, and um, you know at the end, perform or not perform, it depends on, uh, upon your your head and the, your attitude and your focus. I just love what I do, so it makes it fifty percent easy. From your time in, in Formula One and all the great teams you drove for, you know, I, I immediately think of you at, at Ferrari and the amazing contribution you made to their constructors' titles and, and, you know, finishing second in the World Championship and more and more Rubens. Is there a car in that period where you look back and you think, A, it was a great era, the way they looked and sounded and things like that, but is there a car that you have maybe a little attachment to where you think that was a special car? for that period of time? Um, there was um, those 2002 and 2004 Ferrari cars. They were exactly the same as they describe on the wind tunnel. They came out and they said the car is going to be faster by this amount because of this and because of that. For me, that's the translation that, uh, you know, nowadays people get lost a little bit and uh, and so many times during the past uh, five, six years, Mercedes got it right because the translation from the wind tunnel to the racetrack is, is what it is. So, uh, you know, when I, I, it was amazing. I first drove the car in Mugello and then they said, the car is going to do this and that. And it was perfect. It was bang on. And uh, I was able to do the times they were saying. So, and it was like a, 
those times where the car from one year to the other was like a 1.5 seconds faster. So you know exactly what the kind of year you're going to have. So, but I got to tell you that from 2008, when I had a, a not so good Honda car at the time and Honda withdrawal and there was a period that uh, we know nobody knew what we we were gonna we were gonna do. Uh, my friends would come to me and said, "What what are you gonna do now after Formula One?" I said, "No, I'm gonna drive Formula One." I said, "No, but it's uh, Bruno Senna already signed, or somebody else already signed." And I said, uh, "No, I have a feeling that I'm gonna be driving uh, next year." And even even my my wife would tell me, uh, okay, um, so should we live in another place and <laughs> in a place that you like? I said, no, no, we're gonna we're gonna do Formula One. They they said lately that uh, later that they they thought I was you know completely out of my mind and uh, for some reason I had a feeling. And whenever Ross gave me a call to tell me that I I was on that brown. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the contract was was not perfect, and uh, it was a contract for you know, every four races, and nice. and so on. I I said yes, I uh, I want to do this, and uh, you know, Ra- Ross t- told the, the other day that was the the, the best option for him uh, that he could uh, could ever had in in his own uh, career, and I that makes me so proud. And when I drove that car for the first time. What a car! The 2009 Brown, what the real, the real beast, and uh, and if you compare the 2010 Williams and 2011 Williams, the 2009 Brown would have beat all all those years in Williams. So for me, it was uh, was the year to have. Yes. Amazing. Talking about Ross Brown and Brown Grand Prix, as you you rightly point out. Um, I, I think too one thing I read, which which um, for listeners sums up uh, among your many great strengths is uh, Jensen Button paid you quite a compliment in that period where he said your your ability to have this mechanical understanding and empathy and the technical side of it that's been a real asset for you hasn't it you have a, a great um, want to, to connect with the machine basically. yeah I think that uh, when I told my when Eduardo my son drove for the first time on a formula I told him uh, you gotta be really tight on that uh, on that seat belt, and he said that. But he hurts. I said, yeah, but when you're driving, that's the connection. Uh, I mean, the tighter you are to the race car, it's it's how you feel it. It's you, you one part of it. It just not it's not two parts. It's not it's not. It, 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 there is a connection there. You gotta you gotta be connected to that. And. Uh, uh, it, it, it really gave me tears in my eyes when I see him just going out of the pits and that little thunk on that <laughs> on that seat belt because he 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 understood what uh, what I meant from that. So um, I don't know where it came from. Uh, probably from those times when I would come to the pits on the go karts at age of six and tell my dad, "Listen, there is a problem here." He wouldn't know because he didn't, he wasn't from that part of the world, and he would send me so many times without a change or with a change, and he would uh, make me come back and say the problem is still there or the problem is gone. So I think he has pushed me to the limits of uh, of having a feeling for the car. You are you a nervous dad when when you know 
the next generation decide they want to go racing. How, were you okay with that? Oh, I'm very nervous. I, I tell you, I, if there are times I get old, it's when they are racing. It's really, it's really something. I'm very emotional. Uh, I remember uh, the first race uh, over the water that uh, there was a crash and uh, there was a red flag, and I, I came to tell my 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 wife at the time that um, I told her uh, I wanted to tell her that everything was okay, but I started crying in the middle of in the middle of the my whole conversation. I said hey, it's all okay, <laughs> and then I I fell in tears because I I was so nervous for for him, mm-hmm. and uh, and Fernando, my other son, he races as well, and he's so different because. Eduardo pays attention, is quiet. Sometimes you have to actually pressure him to say, go for it. Fernando, you got to tell him, hey, just, just be careful. You're crashing too hard. And you, so two d- different human beings that uh, it's, uh, it's, just, uh, it's just so nice. I, I, and, and plus, I don't tell him them to drive. You know? They drive because they, they wanted to. I mean, even Fernando right now, he's playing soccer because he, he, he want to... He want to try that. That's 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 what he says. It is his passion. So as long as the the boys are doing some some sports, I think that's uh, that's what keep me out of drugs, out of uh, anything that it wasn't good. And uh, and I I feel so so good about it. Changing the air fuel mixture with a fuel-injected car requires a laptop and probably a degree. But with a carburetor, all you need is a flathead screwdriver. Oh, the good old days. One of your other great strengths is loyalty. And probably a story that listeners might appreciate is that, am I right in saying, in the Williams period of of Formula One, you had... uh, you had either shaken hands or certainly agreed to go and and uh, and compete with them, but an opportunity came up at McLaren. But you remained loyal to what you 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 were going to venture into with Williams. Is that right? <laughs> that probably came. Uh, that story you might know from Sir Michael, and uh, it's uh, it is true. It is true. I mean, uh, I had signed a contract for Williams uh, before uh, the September area. It was Spa. And after that, the McLaren came, came, and the deal was good. It was the, the money was even better, but I, I, I couldn't do it. It was something that I, you know, no, it was. Uh, I might have been teammates with. Uh, well, I would have been teammates to to Lewis, and uh, uh, you know, being teammates to Michael and then teammates to Lewis. It would have been something else, but uh, yeah, no, the Williams was already some something so assertive that I, I was going to do it. I, cu- I couldn't drop off. Was it a hard thing to ultimately stop Formula One? You still race now, which I think is phenomenal, and and that's the best piece of advice for any any race driver. Don't stop cold, cold turkey. Keep trying to do something, even if it's in an historic car or whatever it might be. But. But was it hard to stop Formula One? It had been the better part of your adult life. I mean, I, I, I honestly been working on the 2011 year so much on the 2012 car. So it was hard and harder not to be on that car, mm. especially when they won uh, the, the Barcelona Grand Prix. Yes. Yeah. 
that I wasn't there, you know, to 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 leave uh, that car. But unfortunately, I think you know this this past ten uh, years it has been uh, the story has been a little bit more on the money side, and uh, instead of paying a driver and receiving some cash and and surviving, they thought it was a good idea. And when you see where Williams are right now, you see, I think it was the wrong, they took the wrong decisions at those those times with money and just uh, kept on going. Because two young drivers, they can do the job on the speed. But because of the lack of testing, if you don't have someone, it, it doesn't matter if you're young or not, that takes the decision left or right because the problem has been oh I don't know that's where the problem stands because then you go only for telemet- the telemetry and and then sometimes it cannot give you the answer the right answer is still the driver mm-hmm. and if he drives you and it's not one decision we, we're talking about a hundred mm-hmm. because it could be that um, the front um, front wing difference has made it better, but the diffuser did not. And he only had a chance to test both at the same time, mm. on a different track and a different time. Mm. So you need to calculate if the wind is blowing to the right direction that is gonna push you or is gonna oversteer you, mm. so you don't know. Mm. You need to know. Mm. So if you take two young guns, that they say, oh yeah, yeah, the car is just uh, slower. Sometimes it is slower, but it's the best car. So that's what uh, drives teams to the wrong patch. A lot of time has passed, but but a standout moment in your career, very sadly, was Imola and the passing of your your friend in Ethan Center. A crazy weekend where you had a big crash yourself. In that time frame, how do you now that a lot of time has passed? How do you compartmentalize that weekend? How do you think about it all? It's a, it's a crazy weekend. Mm. I mean, uh, a lot of mes- mystery in that weekend because we don't know a lot. A lot of bad things happen on that weekend, isn't it? It's not just the uh, the pass of uh, Hatzenberger and and Senna. Mm. There was uh, there was a, a bad accident on the start of the the race with Leto and Lamy. There was the the accident on the on the pit stop with a mechanic. It, it was just a crazy crazy weekend. I mean, on my side, the thing I can say is that I was uh, I remember um, just before before I went to qualify that I said I can do the Variante Bassa in fifth gear, and that's all I had in my mind because I. I was on the limiter in fourth gear. I said, I can do in fifth. I can do in fifth. And and then right after that, I can I can hear the oops. I can't do it. But it was gone. It was already gone big time. I was in fifth when I crashed. You can see on the data. So the 90, 90 G and the fact that I, I swallow my tongue, you can imagine the impact that I had on my head. So... There are good and bad things about it. I mean, obviously, mostly bad because I lost my, you know, two of my, my, one of my, my hero, obviously, in Ayrton, but I also lost uh, one of my, my, my brothers there racing with us, which is Hatzenberger. Um, I lost my memory for, for a good 20 days. And uh, I cannot remember taking 
Ayrton to, you know, you, you, you have seen pictures of me yes. carrying him up to the coffin and yeah. and I can't remember that. So that's something that it's a, it's a positive because I, it's such a sad moment and uh, and it's, uh, it's something that whenever I, uh, um, it was 10 days after, uh, still still suffering a little bit because of a broken nose and and everything I said okay there's a test Silverstone new car and is a new era what means means that you go flat and you try to cure yourself again if you don't cure yourself again it means that you like this otherwise you just uh, give up and and go home and do something else at that time I bit the, my own record at Silverstone and I, I knew that that's what I wanted to do yeah, I'm to stay, which is terrific bounce through a couple of cars for me firstly stock cars in Brazil Mark Winterbottom who races in the Supercars Championship here in Australia has been over and, and tackled them what are they like and and um Tell our Australian and Kiwi listeners a bit more about them. Well, the stock cars, uh, it is a car that weights uh, pretty much 1,300 kilos. We have around 450 horsepower uh, on 82% of a butterfly carburetor, which means that when you press the push to, pa- push to pass, it goes to 100 uh, open uh, butterfly, and then you have a 500 horsepower. So we have that as a as an as a something to overtake, and you have a certain number per race. And um, the series is really competitive. I mean, sometimes for a couple of tenths you could be first or eighth. So uh, great names racing, great Brazilian drivers are racing, great uh, you know uh, people that are all over the world, and also. The great uh, Australians that came and raced on that double uh, double race there, and um, it's a it's it is a it's a series that I've always had a, a knife for it, and I, I I told myself as soon as I'm done with uh, the open wheel, I want to do stock car. So I am in love with that. I have a motorhome, uh, a small one that I. You know, I go from the Wednesday to the Sunday. I'm on the racetrack. That's all I do. I eat at the track. I race at the track. And I I have a, a really good time when I'm there. Awesome. Immersed in it. I love it. And you've been back to Australia, not just once, but twice, to drive in S5000. So for people listening... The cars kind of tip their hat to a greater era of the Tasman series in this country. V8-powered open-wheelers, but a more modern take on that. Have you enjoyed those cars? What are they like to drive and things like that? Oh, I tell you, when I when I first went out in uh, in Melbourne, uh, I got to to do turn three, turn four, five. When I got to turn six, the light, you know, the the sunlight was was tremendous, and I I had that. Uh, you know that connection with God, where where you say, "Thank you, thank you." I'm back here again uh, in a track that gave me so much uh, of a of a great feeling, and uh, in in, uh, in in those Formula One cars that they feel right now. You know, I'm I'm driving a car that uh, it does give me the feeling of power, 600 horsepower, and and just uh, uh, in, in different balance and so on. But I. You know the air is is through my 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 visor and so on, so gratitude. I I can only have gratitude from from the time I'm 47 and I'm still competitive. How uh, what else can I ask? You see, so it's uh, it's uh, I had a great time in Melbourne and uh, I hope I I can come back to do more of this. We hope so too. As you and I sit here, 
this has been for me one of the craziest days I can remember in, in motor racing. And I know Formula One over time has its share of drama and, and things like that. It's a great sport. But to think very sadly today, on Friday, the, the Australian Grand Prix was cancelled. Um, you know, at the end of the day, health is what is what is most important. But it's been a, a wild day, hasn't it? It's been a wild day. I'm, I went to sleep last night and when I woke up today, it was all different. It was amazing because I woke up, I put the alarm at 5.20 because my son was going to be qualifying uh, in, in, uh, in America. And I knew that... Uh, I could, I cannot do it if I wasn't watching. And I, you know, I thankfully, uh, not not same as my parents. Uh, I have some technology on the phone that you know I had to to go put a a little uh, a little coin into the phone and call them to say I'm on pole position. So now it's different, isn't it? I I can I can watch on the on the app. I mean, it's it's fantastic yes. that technology. And I. Um, and then 5.20, he was not on the track. And then I, I called him and I said, well, well, what's going on? He said, hey, that it's been canceled over here and then we're only on the track tomorrow. So I hopefully he is actually on the track tomorrow by his wishes. Yes. Um, but in, in here, Australia, when I woke up, uh, I said, can somebody tell me anything? Because it, it looks like uh, uh, Formula One, you know, with McLaren not happening... Uh, it looks like uh, it's it's gonna be hard to happen. Then I came to breakfast. It was 7:45. I saw Leclerc just leaving, saying goodbye. I'm going to the airport. So I knew by then Formula One wasn't gonna happen. But there wasn't a statement for Ferrari, from Ferrari, so it was a bit of a uh, a thing. I actually don't know if he said that he was going to to the airport, but I I had the feeling that he wasn't gonna gonna race. But uh, I'm sorry that we didn't race. I had three races to go. Uh, and when you race three races, is better than just one race, <laughs> especially in Melbourne. We, we hope it's not the last time you'll come back down under. Now, we've got to tell a little true story here because in setting up this podcast, we rang a, a friend who has helped me with other podcasts before in Greg Siddle, Pee Wee Siddle, who's well-known in the Australian motorsport community. And you have come here having had lunch with him and lunch with Larry Perkins. What was that like? Larry's got some great old tales from his time in Formula One in the 70s. He did some amazing things here in touring cars in this country. Did you enjoy that? I, I enjoy it purely because it's... Uh, when Peewee told me... Uh, I said, Peewee, let's get lunch. I said, is uh, Larry Perkins coming? I said, the legend? Is, 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 is Larry Perkins the Larry Perkins? He said, yes. I said, okay, I'm definitely coming. So, because I am a lover. I, 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 I love motorsport as as it is so for sure it was uh i i i heard so many great things about larry driving and he told me he he stopped driving 2003 when he was at age 53 so it gives me a great feeling that i still have six years to go <laughs> of uh, of racing and uh was what a great lunch it was uh great stories and uh he not just talk, but he wanted to listen as well, and uh, that's the good thing about it, isn't it? It's uh, it's uh, different times and, and different periods, but we 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 all want to hear about our passion, which is uh, racing faster uh, a car. Fantastic. Two final questions. Listeners of the podcast would love to know what does Rubens get get around in in terms of a daily drive, a daily car. I mean, you talked about your motorhome before. 
And is there a restoration project that you've been involved in over time, an old car or something that you went, I've got, I've got to have one of those, I want one of those in my garage now that you know Formula One has wrapped up or something like that? <laughs> it's, uh, honestly, I've been racing so much that I didn't have the, the chance to do that. Uh, right now, I have the 94 Jordan, which is at the... Fantastic which is in Brazil, uh, you know the famous painter called Cid? Uh, Cid is a fam- the famous painter in Brazil and, and the car is, is right there. And um, I have a 2008 uh, Honda car that is also uh, with me, but I, I didn't actually have the chance to restore it. I mean, I I just been... You know, too busy (laughs) traveling so much and so on. But it's uh, what was the first part of the question? What what do you drive to? Oh, the I I I've always been in love with uh, Audis, and uh, the RS6 is uh, for me uh, station wagon was the car that I. I could uh, I could have the bags of the family, but I still drive fast. So uh, for me, obviously, I follow the rules on the road. And uh, but it's uh, you know, for me, a faster car is always safer for you to do an overtake if you're allowed to, just to go out and come back in on a single road. So I that's the daily car. It's been fantastic to spend some time with you. Thank you very much. You're off to a a function tonight. We hope you'll come back and do some more racing down under. And the great lesson for everyone is from you, follow the passion, do it as long as you possibly can. That's the the clear thing with you, isn't it? More more important is do as long as you can if you really do enjoy. Mm -hmm. Because the other day I said to my kids, I said, hey, um, daddy might not do the shifter carts anymore because my my lower back is hurting and then they they gave me so much of a i mean of a bad thing they came they they, yeah, they they said uh, if i was fast as you i would never stop so and i i said okay <laughs> daddy can keep keep on for for some more years in that and uh you know the passion is everything like whenever you mention uh, dick bennett's uh i could not go out without mentioning him as well uh, he would come back to me so many times with those uh, books of Ayrton Senna and how much front wing he put as a dick. Call it off, man. We are here <laughs> ten, 10 years after and we, we need to think about ours. I mean, Senna is, is a good time on the past and uh, I had a great time with Dick Bennett and uh, I, uh, he teach me so much about being methodical and, and learning the, how to do it. And uh, I think the story here is about love. If you, if you really love what you do, you're going to have a successful time. It doesn't matter what. It's, uh, I read books that, uh, from different people, and you can see at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much you worked. And some people might have worked much more than others, but there is love and passion on the very bottom. If there is, you're going to have success. Rusty's Garage is written and presented by me, Greg Rust. Series producer and editor is Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.